Welcome to Your Life, The Sequel. A podcast about getting your act together and making changes happen in your life. You want change and we want to help you with guests and discussions about how to make change in your life, whether big or small, change can happen. This is your chance to become the person you were meant to be. Now, here we are, Rick Roshan and Melissa Carlson. Welcome, everybody, to Your Life, The Sequel. I'm Melissa Carlson. Hey, and I am Rick Roshan. I am so excited for today's guest. The very special Julie Kramer is with us. She is a transformational coach, author, and speaker. She's committed to using her background to expand awareness for people who are looking to transform themselves or their career, looking for fulfillment in their lives. She serves people who are looking to be the hero of their own life story as they integrate lost parts of themselves. That is so near and dear to our hearts here at Your Life, the sequel. So without further ado, Julie Kramer, welcome to the show. And please tell us something about yourself. Well, it's a delight to be here. I feel like I'm with like minds, and I'm so thrilled to find you guys. Yeah, tell us a little bit about what you do, Julie. It's incredibly interesting. Well, I'm a coach and a spiritual director. Basically, what I do is I work with people that are going through change, Mm -hmm. and my mission is to help them go through the change quickly and easily and well. Mm -hmm. And my focus is on helping them find the wisdom so that they can release the grief and move quickly. When you're looking at at somebody to bring in as a client or to talk to them, who who is it that you serve? Who is it that you look at and say, okay, I can help you. You are somebody that I can use my skills with and on. Well, it covers a wide range of people. In the past, I've been a chaplain and I've worked with people that are sick or dying. Then I was also a career coach. So I've worked with extensively with people that are changing their livelihoods. But now I'm working with really everyone. So this includes people that have gone through a divorce, may have lost a loved one. They may be changing their life focus. They may be in crisis over value conflicts with people that they are close to. Hmm. It could include people that are feeling lonely and stuck and they just Hmm. want to move on to the next thing. And really it includes virtually anyone who's going through a change. I loved when, when Rick said that we had you on as a guest, because I think that is really, if we talk about, we have been talking about people changing and making new decisions and some exciting, some maybe not so much, but that really is to me, the core of it, the, 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 the bit that is the hardest. And that is when you are stuck, you want to change, but you can't. And that's really what you focus on. How, how do you get people to get unstuck? Well, it's a methodical process. And part of it involves voice dialogues, which is a system that was developed by Hal and Sidra Stone. They're psychotherapists. And basically what they've done is they've developed a method to help people realize that they're comprised of multiple selves. In other words, we have our ego self, we have our heart self, we have the inner artist, We have the inner 
CEO. We have the inner hippie, the inner rebel, the inner banker, and so on and so forth. So when people are stuck, what I found is it's always because there's a conflict within. And what I do is I start interviewing them and going deeply into their different parts to figure out what part is in conflict. So, for example, it's very common for highly ambitious, highly motivated, career-oriented people to get stuck because their inner artist doesn't feel fed. Or their inner activist doesn't feel fed. I'm finding a lot of people have this inner activist, which is committed to doing good in the world. And they're not feeling like that inner activist is getting any nourishment or credibility in the world. And so what I do is I figure out what part of them is not getting fed and not heard. And then I work with the other side of that that's repressing them. It's usually the ambitious money-oriented side. Yeah. says, well, you can't go start your own business to serve the poor because you're going to screw up your lifestyle and you're going to screw up your income flow and your family right. won't allow it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I actually worked with somebody who was a corporate attorney for a venture capital firm that I worked for, and we were colleagues. At that time, I was doing executive search work, but then I became a coach, and he hired me, and it turned out his passion was to be a rabbi. (laughs) Wow. He was totally devoted to this end but his inner attorney he was already working as an attorney and doing very well would not allow him to consider leaving this work and going and becoming a rabbi so he was kind of paralyzed we had to do some voice dialogue work it's very delicate work but it's a negotiation basically and you have to really work with the aware ego, which is the neutral observer. And you have to go back and forth and back and forth, and you have to let both sides hear each other. And then you have to say to each side individually, would, you know, I had to say to the rabbi, would you be open to working with the, the corporate attorney? Would you be open to talking, working out a deal where you could have maybe one day a week. Hmm. And the rabbi would consider it and say, well, really, I want the whole five days, but okay, we'll start there. And then I go over to the corporate attorney and say, well, uh, what do you think? And he'd say, no, no, I can't give up. I can't give up one day a week. That would have to be Saturday. I say, well, okay, what about Saturday? And then we build a plan for over five years you know, where they could gradually retire and leave the corporate world to go over to the rabbi, rabbinic world. Mm. 
Hmm. And I run into that all the time. I bet. I it's bet. like your mediator. So, so a rabbi and an attorney walk into Julie Kramer's office. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't resist that one. So, <laughs> I mean, there has to be. So when you have you have people having their inner dialogues with themselves, that's the inner inner part. There must be a, an overlay of what society has laid upon us, what our lives should be like, and what we should be doing. You know, people shooting all over us. So, what do you do when people are are you know concerned about? the outward appearances of the choices that they're making? Well, again, that's usually comes down to a conflict between the ego and the heart. Mm -hmm. And so at some point you can negotiate between them, but Mm -hmm. first you have to give the heart more space to, to speak. And so what I do in that case is, well, there's many ways that I do it. It depends. But, and one way, by the way, is to go into the spiritual side of things. If the person is spiritually oriented, that's the fastest way to the heart and the soul. And so we can quickly go to that realm within them and open that realm up and find out what is happening in that realm within them. But if they're not spiritual, then we could look at their soul, their soul's point of view. So, in fact, I have a class now. It's called Find Your Purpose, Find Your Calling, and it's eight weeks. And one class is devoted to diving into your soul's desires. What are the desires of your soul? And we have to kind of put a wall up and make a sacred place for the soul to come forward where the mind and the intellect and the ego won't keep interrupting. Sure. <laughs> yeah. It's sort of like, you know, in therapeutic circles, they talk about boundary setting, but we have to do some boundary setting within our own psyches. And so what I try to do is set up some boundaries and I get agreement from people that we're going to just concentrate for the next hour on their spirit and their soul and their heart. And we don't really in West, the Western world have enough space for the spirit, the soul Mm -hmm. and the heart, you know, in, the Middle East, they actually have more space for the spirit, the soul, and the heart. And I think we need to realize that that's so valuable. We need to emulate that. You know, in the Middle East, when somebody dies, people weep openly in the middle of the street, on the bus. It doesn't matter where they are, but Men and women will cry openly. We don't have that here. In fact, when I was a a chaplain in a hospital, one morning a Middle Eastern family arrived in the lobby. There were like 25 people wailing and grieving. 
and they asked me to come and get that under control. Hmm. And I was so offended by the demand to get them under control and to get, you know, move them out of the lobby. Yeah. I was like, wow, this is not good. You know, this is just wrong thinking. I like part of what you say in, in regards to speaking of grief. <clears throat> it's important to move from grief to gratitude. You say it's an important part of all this. Talk a little bit about that, griefing, moving from grief to gratitude. Well, you know, the biggest problem is the mind. And people think that grief is a lifelong thing. You know, if you go through a divorce or if somebody dies, they think, oh, it's going to be forever. Get over it. Just deal with it. It's always going to be there. I don't agree. And that's just a mental construct. It's a, it's a false belief. But the thing of it is, the steps for getting through that are tricky. And I think we need to bring this out in the open and start looking at it. My solution and recommendation is that what I found based on working with all these people is the sooner that their mind is focused on the wisdom gained from the loss, Mm. the sooner the heart will let go of the grief. So we need both parts of ourselves to make this work. You can't just cut off your mind and go and wallow in the grief Mm. because then you're not getting anywhere. And you can't just stay in your mind because then you're not bringing your heart. It's got to be a partnership of the heart and the mind. And the way I see it working is the spiritual director, the coach, the guide can say to the person, what are you learning from this agony that you're going through? What possible blessing could come out of this that you would never get if you never went through this experience. That's the coach's role. That's the role of the spiritual director, in my opinion. That's the role that would bring value and transition the heart to give up the grief. Because once the heart gets that there's some blessing, it's like the candy. Then they go, oh, okay, I'll let it go. And it's like, it's in a second. It can happen in a second. And I think about all those people too. Like it it happened to me when I was younger where I was in a company and it was my dream job and they lost their affiliation and I was gone. And it was kind of like, sorry, here you go. And I think about all these people right now with COVID and and just in general, uh, maybe losing their jobs, et cetera. And you think to yourself, oh, my gosh, that's it. I'm so screwed. It's uh, This is the end of it. And really, for me, at least in my position, that was the best thing that ever happened. Because of that, I moved. I met my husband. I have to. I mean, I can really go on. And if somebody can find that, right? But but that's not always so easy to find from the jump, right? What do you say to people who are in that spot? Like, oh, my gosh, it's gone. I can't. I've lost everything or I've lost my job. What's that first step to saying, wait, hold on. There might be something better. The very first thing I do is share this story 
when I was a grief counselor for hospice, I had a group of people I was working with. One man in the group, when I asked everybody, I, I go around the group and say, what, what do you think you might, the blessing might be from this loss? And one man, when I got to him, he said, well, I had to lose the love of my life to find my soulmate. Mm. Wow. And I said, oh, <laughs> that's incredible. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's it. It's, it's like in my book I talk about how it takes a irritation in an oyster to make a pearl. Mm-hmm. And that's what we need to be kind of looking at and embracing now. We have to – it's a complicated thing. It's like it's really alchemy. Mm-hmm. It's really taking one thing and turning it into another thing. And we can do this. Mm-hmm. We, because we have both the intellectual and the emotional, if we were to put them together correctly, we can be alchemists. Yeah. I find also that when people today think that, you know, we've all had microwaves since we were youngish and you put something in and you have a meal in three minutes. And so our expectation is that things happen very quickly. And I think that, you know, the work that can be done, it may, like you were talking earlier about a gentleman that was on a five-year plan. And I find that, you know, people give up very early, they get discouraged. How do you frame things for people so that they understand that this is not trivial? You know, you didn't become an attorney overnight, and you're certainly not going to not be an attorney overnight. I guess someone could take it away from you. But how do you work with people around uh, level setting their expectations on what that path is going to look like? Well, you know, in my eight-week class, it's called the Good Life Path. One of the classes is how to develop a roadmap to get where you want to go. Mm. And we we do it very methodically. For example, I recently worked with the head of the design director of a Fortune 100 company who was, you know, had the most enviable job in the world. I mean, he was the head of a design studio in this Fortune 500 company. Fortune 100 company. And he was doing very well. He managed like 50 people. And it was a very terrific job. He he was doing it very well. But he was terribly unhappy because it turned out that his core being was really an artist. He was really an artisan. You know, he would be happy in an art studio all day, just creating photographs, creating art and designing things and not working with all these people. And (laughs) anyway, he was very, very unhappy. So I said, okay, well, what if you were to, again, have a hobby of creating artwork and gave yourself like, maybe four hours a week to work on this for now. 
And then over time, step by step, you we worked out a plan where you could have your own design studio. And we did that. We created a three-year plan for that. And he's now working toward that plan. But it is hard. You almost have to have a community of people to support you. And I'm thinking about creating a community support group for this type of person. I was thinking as you were speaking and coming from, you know, 20 years in corporate America, VP level kind of stuff, doing something that is feeding the activist in me with this podcast and where I want to take this work. I I wonder if maybe what you are doing with people when you're do when you're helping them in your process are you giving them permission to do the are you you know maybe they can't generate it on their own yeah. maybe maybe there's a part of it where you're giving permission for them to actually fulfill their own needs a lot of us need that need yes. that need someone else to yeah. say you should <laughs> right yeah. i i do i yeah. do i know. yeah yeah, you know, I should really put together a list of people that have made these big changes because I think having that documentation would help people. Yes. There is a book on this by Daniel Pink. I can't remember the name of it. He's an awfully good art uh, writer, but he writes about the innovation nation, I think it is. He talks about how the majority of people working today are really self-employed. Oh, yes. And we don't realize that. But many, many, many people, I think it's over 50% of all employed people are self-employed. And those people that are in the corporate setting, they don't realize that. They, They tend to think that everybody's in a company. And so part of it is really giving people permission to make a change. How would you say that your approach is different from what what others do? It feels to me like coming from someplace like hospice to what you're doing now, there's got to be a connection there. And that I think for anybody who maybe isn't even making a big change, but so many of us have experienced loss before, you can, they can kind of understand the concept behind it. Well, I think one of the big, differences is I do bring the spiritual in to be a central player in the process. And what I've realized is that our hearts and souls are connected to our spirits. You know, back in the day of Plato and Aristotle, I researched this. I thought, now, how are they defining soul, spirit, and heart? Well, there was no agreement between all these guys. Aristotle and Plato and Socrates, they all had different ideas about the soul, the spirit, and the heart. But what's missing in the Western world is soul, spirit, and heart. And so whenever I can work with the spiritual side of a person, that will speed things up because it, along with the spirit comes the heart and the soul. <laughs> and so that's a little different than most coaches. I mean, I what I'm doing is I'm blending spiritual direction and coaching. Now, coaching doesn't usually bring in the spiritual. And I must say, I, I have criticisms of both disciplines. The spiritual direction people in my regard, if 
from my point of view, they're too hands off. They, they believe that you should not provide any interference whatsoever. They, they just let the person go. But I believe you have to provide some direction. Sure. And the coaching people are too, they're lacking spirit. So I believe you have to add spirit. That's wonderful. So to someone that's listening to this podcast that may feel really, really stuck and may feel like things will never change, you know how human beings, oftentimes men, you know, when we get sick, we think we, we can't remember the time when we weren't, didn't have a cold. We just, it's, <laughs> our brains are just, we, it's always been like this and it's never going to change. And so for those people that, that are just feeling stuck, what would be a good place to start? What would be a good place of hope for them? I would, you know, I have a whole, about 10 books that I would recommend. We would love the list. Oh, I, <laughs> I have all of them sitting right here. I could give them to you now. Uh, but the one that I recommend is Of the Water and the Spirit by Maladoma Somme. You know, the indigenous people have the right idea, in my opinion. He He's uh, from Africa. He has two PhDs. And he talks about how they do community ceremonies. And if nothing else, this book would be a wake-up call to somebody who's stuck. And I would recommend it because I believe we need to shift our whole cultural point of view and start adopting some of these indigenous practices, which involve ceremony in the community. And so that's one thing. Another one is Dr. Eric Pearl, The Reconnection. He's got a radical approach that's like mine. And it basically involves moving into the realm of love. And and you have to really just ask yourself, for somebody who's stuck, ask yourself, are you willing to move and change? Yeah. And if you are, then you could read a few of these books and make that shift. Or you could call me and I'd be glad to coach you. That's a, awesome. that's <laughs> wonderful. Well, and so in closing, can you tell us where people can find you online? I, I think you have a worksheet that people might be able to access. Can you tell us a little bit more about uh, where to find you, all that good stuff? Yes. Uh, the two places to find me are goodlifepath.com and if you go to goodlifepath.com slash ebook you'll get a free synopsis of the book right but you have to put in http slash slash www and then goodlifepath.com and then slash ebook okay but my website is KramerCoaching.com. So that's how you can find me, Julie at KramerCoaching.com. Wonderful. Thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure having you on the show. Thank you. Thanks for joining us this week on Your Life, The Sequel. Make sure to visit our website, Revital.ist, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts so you'll never miss a show. 
Or sign up for our newsletter, The Revitalist, filled with daily tips for making change in your life. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd really appreciate a rating and a review on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us too. Special thanks to our audio engineer and editor, Mark Cape. Be sure to tune in next week for the next episode of Inspirational Change. Be the change you want to be.